Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you today. Glad that you're here as we continue this journey through Lent and this discovery of meals with Jesus and the ways in which God can help claim for our hearts a more intimate relationship, not only with God, but certainly with Jesus uh, and with others. Certainly want to welcome our online community. We're always grateful that you're with us. And let me just remind us that not only are we having these meals with Jesus, and hopefully you're participating in the weekly or daily, rather, devotion guide, Meals with Jesus, uh, but we're also supporting Mozambique, as you just heard. We have a 25-year history of helping in uh, certain communities in Chikuki and Campini in Mozambique, and we've done wonderful work there, and we want to continue that journey this year by the initiation of the Food Sustainability Program. So if you haven't already made a donation, I sure want to encourage you to do so uh, by checking out that website. Your support can make a tremendous, tremendous difference. I want to share a story with you. Uh, some of you may know this. Uh, more than a decade ago, my family and I had the wonderful opportunity to go to a small little island in Scotland some of you may be familiar with. It's called Iona. Iona is a spiritual pilgrimage island, little bitty teeny tiny island uh, in the upper Hebrides islands of uh, Scotland. It is a spiritual pilgrimage that's gone on for centuries where people go and walk the island and pray at the abbey. That abbey has been there since the fifth century. Christianity has been there since the fifth century. That's long time, right? It's a powerful experience. And so my two kids and my wife and I had the opportunity to go in 2012, and it was a powerful encounter with the holy. There was an experience we desired to go there because of the simple spiritual concept of simplicity. So simplicity uh, suggested to us in that particular arena that we would live together in an eight by eight room, all four of us, that we would pray together in the chapel, that we would experience people from around the globe, and in particular, that we would eat meals together and share table conversation together. And so our daughter, Sadie, actually celebrated her eighth birthday uh, while she was there. She's having a piece of cake, but it's at, at that table and a couple of other tables that we would all gather every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The meal itself was always prepared for us, but as the pilgrims were there, we would help set the table, we would clean the table, we would clean the dishes, clean the kitchen, clean the... Uh, cafeteria area. That was all a part of the concept of simplicity. And in and through that, what we gleaned at the tables, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, were new friends, new relationships, powerful possibilities about how we could find what it is we have in common in Jesus, even though we exist across the globe, have different cultural uh, understandings, different language barriers, all of those things. But when you sat down at a meal, life changed. And we became one. And I know that you've experienced that in your own home life and in your own experience. The early Christian church knew the power of a meal. You may recall that in the early church, literally right off the bat, right after the Holy Spirit comes on what we call Pentecost and Peter gets up and empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, literally converts 3,000 people to the faith. At the very end of Acts chapter 2, there's a powerful description of how the church got together on a regular basis. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, the believers met daily in the temple and they ate together in homes and they shared their food with joyful hearts. Isn't that cool? So they gathered on a consistent basis eating meals together because they understood the power of a meal. 
Even our scriptures tell us, uh, uh, the book of Revelation, for instance, when John reveals uh, what's going to be like when Christ returns, he writes to seven churches and he tries to help them better understand how to be faithful. And in one of those letters to one of those churches, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, uh, the angel reveals this powerful truth. Listen, God says, I'm at the door knocking. And if you'll open and let me in, I will sit and eat with you and you with me. And the powerful image there is this wonderful, intimate conversation, table conversation. And isn't it true that as we gather around tables, we discover truths about each other. We discover uh, we love one another. We discover how much we have in common together. There's nothing like sitting down at a table together, right? That's why we wanted to offer this series throughout the season of Lent to remind ourselves that when we have meals with Jesus, we grow in our relationship with Him. We discover His heart and His mind and His will. We recognize His teachings and understand how it is we can uh, demonstrate those in our daily lives. Part of what we're discovering, and we started last week, uh, Pastor Doug helped us to see in a meal with Levi that God accepts all, that God wants to sup with any, that God's mercy and grace is available even to a lowly tax collector, right? But it's in these meals that we discover community, that we recognize God's mercy and grace, that we receive God's love and forgiveness, that we claim our faithfulness and discover how it is we can live more intentionally as a follower of Jesus. What a powerful gift that is. Well, today we find another meal with Jesus, and it's a pretty provocative one, one that some of us have heard before, but when we experience it today, my hope, of course, is that we will better recognize the wonderful ways that God forgives us of our sin, calls us into a loving, caring relationship, and a willingness to share that love and forgiveness with other people. The story is in Luke's gospel, as are all of our meals this Lenten season, and this one begins in Luke chapter 7. Hear now God's word as it's proclaimed through the gospel writer of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house, he reclined to dine. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood beside him at his feet, weeping. And began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to ask you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he forgave the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, 
Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say to one another among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I told you that's a pretty provocative story, right? I mean, there are two very distinct characters here, Simon, the host, the homeowner, and this woman who goes unnamed, but clearly is the main character in the story. And she does something that really is quite, um, wow, powerful, right? First of all, she shows up seemingly out of nowhere. She has heard about this Pharisee named Simon who seems to be gathering a few people, not the least of which is Jesus, and she wants to see, she wants to encounter, she wants to experience him because my gut tells me, though the text doesn't say it, she already knows him and she understands his capacity and what it is he can do and offer and provide. And so as they gather, she began to do things that nobody does in public. She weeps at his feet. She touches his feet with her hair. She dries her feet with her hands. She anoints him with ointment, which by the way is quite costly. It's not something to be wasted. And she liberally spreads it across his feet. This would be something of an intimate act with someone with whom we're already intimate. It is not normally a public act at all. But she's doing this as a demonstration, as a sign, as a symbol of her gratitude, of a way to say, I am so deeply moved. I am so profoundly changed. My life has been so transformed. I cannot help but demonstrate my gratitude to you, Jesus. And and oh, by the way, I... (laughs) I want everybody in the room to see. I want everybody in the room to know. I want everybody here to better understand what I am doing. And I'm pretty sure everybody understood what she was doing, right? Because everybody in that room was uncomfortable. There wasn't a person in the room to a T other than maybe Jesus who didn't feel the awkwardness about the action, about the behavior, but it was all about gratitude. It was all about um, a sense of uh, generosity of spirit because of what has already happened in her heart. But Simon is a bit um, disturbed by the act, right? Now, like any good uh, um, person who wants to be formal and who doesn't want to, you know, cause any stir, he thinks to himself, he does not say aloud, if this Jesus knew who this woman was, what, what her behavior is, what she does in public, 
He, he would not have allowed this. He would not have made this possible. And Jesus, of course, has some words for him, right? And a, a profound lesson about forgiveness, 500 verses 50, and who, who received more forgiveness. And then that little pinch in the side, those who have felt no forgiveness or little forgiveness will love little. Ouch. You see, the woman has already received her forgiveness. That's why she's doing what she's doing. Jesus would proclaim it aloud so that everybody would understand what was going on, but she's already received his forgiveness. You see, that's why she's wiping her hair around his feet and uh, claiming this beautiful anointing of who he is. And Jesus just needs Simon and the rest of the householders to understand what's happened. And then notice what he does. He not only publicly announces her forgiveness, but he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Notice, she did not have to repent. She did not have to offer uh, penance. She did not have to seek forgiveness. Jesus merely offered it, and in the process of forgiving her sins, He offers her salvation, wholeness for her heart and her soul and her life, a healing for her brokenness. This is something Jesus would do over and over again, right? He would publicly forgive sins of those who seemingly had no sin, but He forgave them. He would offer salvation for those for whom there seemed to be no solution to their brokenness. We see it over and over in the Gospel of Luke, really in several of the Gospels, but Luke proclaims this multiple times. The woman who had a, a flow of blood for some 12 years just wanted to reach Jesus' hem. She just wanted to touch Him, and she knew, she trusted that He could heal her. And Luke chapter 8 tells us that He did. In Luke chapter 8, verse 48, it says, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go now in peace. She, she, she was healed. She was made whole. She received salvation merely because she trusted and believed. A man born blind. A story recorded in John's gospel, but also in Luke's gospel, and the man uh, seemingly is born blind because either he or his family has sinned, right? Somebody has sinned. He wouldn't have been born blind otherwise. That was the belief of the day. But when he sought out help from Jesus, according to Luke's gospel in the 18th chapter, Jesus offered him salvation. Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. You see, that's what Jesus does. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from our brokenness. He offers healing and hope and wholeness for the broken parts of our lives. That's who He is. But Simon felt as though somehow this woman had sinned too much or, or didn't deserve it or somehow this wasn't right, right? Simon seemed to feel as though as the right and prim and proper follower of the law and teacher of the law and uh, well-respected citizen of society and host to the only one named Jesus, somehow he didn't need forgiveness. Somehow 
he had sins not worthy of forgiveness. Somehow he was caught finger-pointing, right? How dare him? How dare him forgive this woman? How dare him allow her to touch his body? How dare this whole circumstance transpire in front of God and everybody? I wish, I wish, not, I wish I wasn't so much like Simon. I wish we weren't so much like Simon. Because we are, aren't we? We who go to church regularly, we who read Scripture regularly, we who know the teachings, we who uh, are followers of Christ, we somehow sometimes feel as though we've done everything right and we are in good stead and we don't understand this forgiveness of which you have so publicly demonstrated, Jesus, with this woman. I don't understand. Those who have received little forgiveness... Love, little. And it's a convicting lesson from Jesus, isn't it? Because here's the horrible truth for all of us. <laughs> We're all broken. We're all broken. We're all broken. We're all sinful. We all have seemingly not risen to the occasion. We have missed the mark. We have not done as Christ has commanded. We, we're good folk and we've put on a good face and we come to church and we do the right things and I stand among us as one who feels the same way. But if ever we have hated someone or belittled someone or lusted after someone or made someone to feel less than at some point or, God forbid, make a decision without discerning God's will, ouch. We are sinners, just the same, no better, no worse. But because we're so much like Simon, we think to ourselves, well, I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't steal anything today. I didn't commit adultery today. Why do I need forgiveness? But you see, the problem becomes, as Jesus points out, those who feel as though we don't need much forgiveness don't really know how to love like Jesus. Paul, the apostle, said it this way when he wrote to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 3, everyone has sinned, all have fallen short of God's glorious standards. <laughs> Ouch! I don't, I don't know if you've looked up in the dictionary the word everyone. And all, a little bitty word, but it has powerful punch. Everyone has sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And some of us, myself included, feel much like Simon. I don't need that. I've been good. I'm doing fine. I'm all right unto myself. Thank you very much. I'm a pretty good person. But you see, the problem becomes when we're more like Simon than the woman, we can't love properly because somehow we've lost sight of the fact that we need Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus said something, too, that really kind of, I'm, I'm just going to have to take the knife out after I share it, but, you know, in Matthew chapter 6, he told us that we need to forgive those, the sins of those who have wronged us, and if we do, then God will forgive us, and if we don't, then <clears throat> dead gummit. It hurts, doesn't it? You see... Genuine community and real faithfulness is founded in the humility of forgiveness and love. The humility to recognize I need forgiveness and the humility to realize I can offer forgiveness. And because I am realizing that in my brokenness, I can love more like Jesus. I can offer help and healing and wholeness and share God's love in very tangible, palpable ways because I realize I need it. I am broken and I need help. And I see you might too. And I love you anyway. And I want to know you more. And I want to share Jesus' love with you. You see, until we recognize our own utter dependence upon the mercies of Jesus to give us forgiveness in our brokenness, we don't know how to love because we've forgotten the gift. And our lack of empathy is shining bright. It reminds me of the story of a little boy named Tommy. He's nine years old. He was in class, minding his own business, studying away, when he suddenly realized below him at his chair was a puddle on the floor and his pants were wet, and he was beside himself. He couldn't believe it. He's like, how did this happen? I mean, how, how did this work? I mean, I, I'm sitting here studying. I don't know. And he's instantly ashamed, right? And he, he feels as though he wants to shrivel up and die. He's trying to cover himself. He's trying to figure out a way to shrink out of the room. He literally thinks to himself, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. So he bows his head in an instant. He just literally says, God, this is an emergency. Help! He realizes that if the boys see him, they'll not let him live it down. He realizes if the girls see him, that they'll never uh, speak to him again, right? And as he lifts his head from the prayer, he sees the teacher coming, and he realizes he's bound to be discovered. But then off to the side, 
he sees little Susie. He, he knows Susie. She's in his class, and he, he happens to notice Susie's got a, a goldfish bowl full of water, and she's coming toward him as the teacher is coming toward him. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, un, un, unmistakably, Susie trips and drops the water all over him. And he is aghast initially, and he's internally shouting for joy, but he has to demonstrate anger, right? How dare you? Why would you do that? How could you do this? I don't understand. And all the kids are laughing, and, and all of a sudden, the teacher just swoops him up and takes him out to get him a new fresh set of clothes at the office, and the kids get into line and start cleaning up all the water, and Susie tries to help, but the kids all make fun of her because she's the one who spilled it in the first place, and all seems to have worked itself out. Now there's sympathy for Tommy. There's no sympathy at all for Susie. They've cast her out. Everything gets reset after Tommy comes back to class. The end of the day comes, and Tommy and Susie are waiting to go home. Tommy goes over and whispers to Susie, you did that on purpose, didn't you? Susie whispers back, I wet my pants once too. Empathy. is a powerful gift. You see, when I realize that I've got something in common with you, and I realize that I've messed up too, and I recognize that I have missed the mark more than I would like to claim, and I understand that even though I have a nice face and decent clothes and a good person and go to church, I'm still a sinner every day. To my shame, I am a sinner, and I need God's divine grace, merciful forgiveness, and abundant love. And when I realize that, I am changed. I am different. And I love people differently. You see, our goal as followers of Jesus is to be much more like the woman than Simon. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to recognize the humility enough to know I need forgiveness, I cannot do this on my own, and because I have received that grace, and because my life has been transformed, and because love transcends all, I want to love you too, even though, and just fill in the blank, even though. You see, that's what the woman did. She realized she was a sinner. She knew she couldn't do it on her own. She accepted the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. 
and she was grateful for it and would not let a soul forget it. I pray. I pray for myself and I pray for us that we would become little Susies today, tomorrow, next week, and the week after that. Because you see, Susie, who in this story of Luke chapter 7 is the woman, when we learn from them how to love like Jesus, God's kingdom comes. Will you pray with me? Precious Lord, take our hand. Lead us on. Guide us through. God, you have forgiven us daily. You have been merciful beyond compare. You have helped us to see sometimes the other side of wholeness. And yet, God, sometimes we have forgotten. And sometimes in pointing fingers at others and recognizing the speck in their own eye and ignoring the log in our own, we've become much more like Simon than Susie. So help us, Lord. Help us receive your forgiveness. Help us to live your forgiveness so that we might love like Jesus. This is our prayer, and we ask it in his name. Amen.